So Jason, what's your overall thoughts of WWDC? I know we met in Ann Arbor last month and talked a little bit then. What really surprised you? What was something that you came away with that changed your perspective either on Apple or in development? Yeah, so this was probably the first year in a long time I regretted not throwing my name in the hat to have a front row seat to this year's event. (laughs) I was pretty blown away and pretty excited by the items that were introduced. Probably not since the introduction of Swift language itself has it been this exciting for developers' platforms. So I'm looking forward to the next year of development and seeing where these lead. Yeah, I agree completely. It seems like this is the biggest year since Swift was introduced. I think that's exactly the way to put it. So what, five years? Mm-hmm. I'm still going through videos and I'm still going through a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff that had gone on a lot of the talks like today, obviously, we're going to be talking about Swift UI, but there's a lot more going on. We had Gary last episode talking about the Apple Watch and all the new stuff with the Apple Watch and how that's moving forward. So it'll be interesting yeah, to see how much stuff is going to come out of this year's series of talks. Now, your experience has been with Reactive Swift, right? We met at the Kalamazoo Cocoa Heads I don't know how many years ago, several years ago. Mm-hmm. That's where I met you. What's your experience with iOS development? And kind of tell me a little bit of your, your backstory. Yeah, so at that time, let's see, that must have been like six years ago or so. It was even before Swift was introduced. So it was Reactive Cocoa at the time, which, which still exists. But it was an attempt at introducing functional reactive programming to the iOS or the Apple platforms in general. And... It flips the whole imperative object-oriented programming paradigm on its head and gives you a lot to think about. But what's nice is, you know, as you're developing your standard MVC-based imperative application, you find that you have all of these rules for managing the state of your UI or the state of your model and trying to keep multiple view controllers loosely coupled yet still tied to the same state object, you're passing these delegates around and, and the code can very quickly become unwieldy. I mean, especially if you're in a typical development situation where you have your production directors and your project owners constantly throwing new features, uh, you know, pushing that development cycle faster than engineering can often wrap their head around the best way to architect a particular solution. You can develop a snowball effect of spaghetti code pretty quickly. As you may have heard, I will be speaking at 360iDev in Denver on August 27th. If you're a developer in the Apple platform, you should highly consider attending this year. i360dev is a leading indie iOS, Mac, Apple Watch, and tvOS developer conference in the United States, and it's a great way to meet others in the community. Just go to 360idev.com and use the promo code FRIENDSINHIGHPLACES to get 20% off. Again, that's 360idev.com and the promo code friends in high places. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. So how long have you been doing iOS development? And did you have any previous experience of doing reactive type UI development outside of iOS? Yeah, so I've been doing iOS since iOS 3. Wow. And... No prior experience to functional or reactive programming before it was introduced to me by a friend of mine, Will Tao, you know, about six years ago when, when reactive Co- he stumbled upon Reactive Coco and we were working together in Kalamazoo at the time 
And he's like, you guys got to check this out. And so we all sat down, we looked at it, and we started incorporating that into the work that we're doing. It was particularly nice because a lot of the apps we were developing at the time uh, were very heavy with network updates, a lot of JSON API requests that were dependent upon each other. So, you know, you would set up maybe a an operation queue that you would have to have something before you get to the next and, and try to create these dependencies. But, you know, that code can become a little bit difficult to manage long term. But then when he started showing me how these streams, as they're called on the reactive cocoa world, basically streams of data that you can subscribe to, you can observe this object, you can subscribe to the data that's coming across, and you can manipulate on the fly to get it to what you need. And as those data pieces are coming across, you can filter them based on specific criteria, you can map them into other objects, you can trigger new network calls based on the results. It became very easy to tie in a lot of that dependency logic into a single network call, where before we would have you know delegates and operation queues and things just strung out throughout the app. Now we have one simple chained function that has that logic kept in one place. So it was, it was kind of nice to keep that all together there. So it was much easier to maintain. It's interesting. Subscribers, publishers, this is all stuff that I've started hearing about when it comes to the new Combine framework. So they're definitely subscribing. Well, no pun intended, subscribing to that new philosophy when it comes to UI development. What do you think was their thinking as far as, okay, now's the time to get away from necessarily just MVC and maybe looking at other patterns for UI development? Where do you think this philosophy came from, Apple? Well, looking at uh, Reactive Coco and then when Swift came out, because Swift made functions, basically a first-class citizen within the language, it made the functional side of the language much more applicable, much more easier to do than when trying to do it in Objective-C, it was it was rather clunky. And you would end up with severe cases of nested square brackets that would uh, inevitably make the code more difficult to read. But being able to have closures and being able to chain your functions together through Swift, it makes it much easier to see how those things get chained together. Just it's more concise. It's a feature of the language that we don't have to work around. So when Swift came about, the reactive community got super excited and you know started to put all their development efforts into porting what they had for the Objective-C stuff into Swift. Despite Swift being a moving target at the time, it was changing so much. That was, that was a bit difficult. Yeah, very much so. But at the end of the day, you find that you get to a point where you have... All of your, your model, your network calls, all of these things nicely streamlined to a point where your errors are handled in the chain at a specific point and they never even make it to the UI, for example. But then there's always been the case of trying to manage your UI state within the app. And that is sort of a separate model object from what your actual data model is. The state is not actually representative of the data or doesn't necessarily have to be. It's more of this is the state of your view at this particular time in the app. And being able to bind those UI elements to some form of a state manager, because all of the UI control stuff are very imperatively managed, like even auto layout, for example, 
you create your objects. If you're going to do this in code, you, know, you create your objects, you add them to your subview, you style it, you set your NS constraints based on how they relate to the other objects. And even going back to springs and struts, you would start like in the upper left corner and then start manually setting out the frame of the objects. You know, So it's very imperative as to how you start to relate this stuff out. And the, and the code can just get completely out of hand. You put that into a zib or into a storyboard, and now you've got other problems with, you know, I think they even mentioned in the WWDC videos there that, you know, trying to diff changes in a storyboard, if you've got multiple people working on it, can be extremely difficult at best. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest benefits of just having a declarative programming you just have the UI in your code is like merging is just going to be so much easier. It's not going to be some lockdown XML format nobody knows about. It's going to be an actual like just essentially Swift code right. for how to design the UI. Well, I mean, XML itself, you know, like HTML is also a declarative layout format. And Android, you use XML for all of your layouts. And it's very specific. You can see how the components, everything is, is basically a component surrounded by tags, you know? But like storyboards, their XML format is so weird and convoluted. Exactly, yeah. It's all machine-written, driven through that UI. So, But I think the benefits of the declarative UI is it takes a lot of the setup for creating that stuff off the table. I was just the other day trying to set up some views in an app that I'm working on, and... You know, like I said, you have to like you create your label, then you have to tell it, you know, set your translates to auto resize mask to false, and then you have to add it to your sub view, and then you have to create your constraints that dictate what it's supposed to look like. Whereas what you really want to do is more like here's a label. It should be half the width of its container. You know, you just want to say that very, very simply. You could say that in one line with Swift UI, whereas when you have to do it with the current mode, it takes considerably more effort to be able to put that out there in code. Yeah, what are some other benefits you can think of when it comes to Swift UI? Like if I am running a company and we need a green iOS app, how would you sell Swift UI to somebody like that? And assuming like you don't mind that you have to wait till like December or January. Right, right. Yeah, there's definitely going to be Because that. obviously we're talking, this is restricted to the latest Apple OS is so iOS yep. 13 and Catalina. I know that's another point too. If you don't mind releasing on iOS 13 plus, then by all means, this is probably something that would. Well, I mean, being that it's in its infancy, there's not a lot of documentation out there yet. People are still working on it. It's hard sometimes to figure out whether something is not actually implemented or whether it's broken or whether you've done it wrong. Yes. And as those of us who transitioned to Swift are familiar with, like. Yeah. We're still getting very cryptic errors in Xcode when we break something. And right. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, all of that aside, I think one of the benefits of a declarative UI is it's constantly being re-rendered as, you know, things change within the model that dictates the UI, right? So for that reason, they were able to create this live preview within Xcode, which lets you see how things are laying out. And I think that is going to be a huge boon for development speed and iteration because I've in the past had to work on layouts that were three levels deep in an app and I didn't want to have to run the app over and over again to make sure that the layouts are working on all different size devices that I'm working with. 
So, you know, sometimes I would take all of that code out and throw it in a playground just so that I could see just that screen as I'm building it out, you know. But now that this is part of Swift UI, I think that's going to really increase that iterative design work that often goes on. Hey, I wanted to let you know that Empower App Show is looking for sponsors and patrons. Our audience is growing and we'd love to showcase you, your company, and your product on our show. If you want to be a patron, you can find us at patreon.com slash empowerapps.show. Or if you want to be a sponsor, reach out to me personally at leo at brightdigit.com. Your support is greatly appreciated and we look forward to showcasing your business and product on our show. What are your overall impressions on like live preview? Definitely some serious bugs going on there. <laughs> <laughs> at least the goal is good. Like, I, as yeah, far as definitely. They're at least thinking about it and you know, putting some thought into the development process and how important it is that yep. you're actually being able to preview actual data and not just seeing a bunch of table well, yeah. I cell mean, prototypes. This declarative UI thing has been something that a lot of the, like I think the social media feed-based apps will be able to get a lot of mileage out of this because they're dealing with very repetitive patterns of cells or whatnot that come through feed but you want to be able to like facebook had mentioned this in the engineering blog a few years back when they decided to refactor their data model because trying to keep all of those little likes and icons and stuff in sync you really don't want any of the models that are attached to the cells to the ui specifically being mutable you want your data to go you know up to the server for example to make those change propagate back to the app rather than trying to maintain state in two places, you know, a state first in the cell or on the like button that you're tapping, and then state as a whole up, you know, on the server where you're assuming your source of truth lives. Right, right. And I love that term, source of truth. That's I've only started recently hearing about about that, and it makes total sense as far as, like, some of the issues with the UI. Yeah, because that's where you start to really get into trouble. Like, And if you have anything that remotely gets close to the edge of confusing your source of truth, less experienced developers in your team will immediately jump to the wrong conclusion. I can't tell you how many times I've had to correct code where whole streams of logic were based on whether or not your toggle is switched on or off, rather than what is the data element that tells that toggle whether it should be true or false. You know, So it's now all this logic is tied directly to the UI, and you go to switch that toggle, and suddenly the network command never makes it to the server, and now your UI and your server are out of sync. So that makes for interesting bugs. <laughs> so to say the least. Indeed. So what do you think are some major drawbacks that people are going to run into when it comes to using Swift UI now? We just talked about like how it's buggy, to say the least, only support latest OSs. What are some other things you can think of where you're like, ah, I wouldn't necessarily do Swift UI for this particular UI element? Yeah, well, so what's nice about it is they've, they've covered quite a few standard UI elements that you might need, you know, labels and buttons and list views. I haven't seen anything that resembles a collection view, so no, yeah. no grid layouts. And I think that could be a deal breaker. If you have a particularly complicated layout, if again, if you're doing something that's like a social media feed where everything is more or less a table view, I think you would you would fly with Swift UI. But if you've got anything particularly complicated, 
you may end up having to do a mix of things. And, and Apple obviously realized this by making it possible with those customized view controller containers then that help you bridge between Swift UI and your imperative code. So anything that's too complicated, you can always fall back to creating a standard view controller with all the other stuff that you would you would normally, you know, the, the way you would normally develop that. Yeah, because we had talked about how collection view controller, it seems like they've added a lot of great features to it this year, mm-hmm. even with SwiftUI out. I think like, yeah, when it comes to stuff like that, I'm really curious about like the memory management when it comes to using a SwiftUI list as opposed to like a table view controller. Mm. Do you still want to use a table view controller in a lot of cases or is the list you know, still worth switching over to? They seem like they're comfortable with the interop, I guess, between standard UI view controllers and Swift UI. It seems like there's a lot you can do with both because you have like a hosting controller if you want to do Swift UI inside a view controller, and you also have the ability to make a view controller or UI view used in Swift UI. So like it's not like you're restricted to using one or the other. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So how would you say what are some best ways that a team would transition to Swift UI or maybe you know transition a current app to Swift UI? Yeah, I think um just like any app there you'd sit down with engineers and designers and try to pick out the low-hanging fruit. I don't think you would want to tackle anything too complicated. Again, there's no benefit from the user perspective which method you choose to create your app. It's more an exercise for getting your developers up to speed with this new layout, knowing that there will be a lot of time invested up front into learning the ropes and getting up to speed on it. But long term, your development iterations, at least from on the UI side of things, should get considerably faster over time. So I guess it really depends. The project that you're working on, is it more important now that you invest the time in getting your, you know, training your developers who may decide to leave your organization after a time? The turnover rates for developers can be pretty high sometimes. Yeah, Um, right. (laughs) Or, you know, if it's more important to get features done and out door as fast as possible, you might just want to hold off on it for a while. Wait until some people get seasoned doing it on their own like we do. (laughs) Just playing with it in our spare time, and then hire those people when you need them. Yeah, I think, like you said, if you don't mind targeting just iOS 13, and you don't mind having like a January or February release date, there might be some new features where SwiftUI is a good fit. And you most certainly can add them into an existing UI kit app. And I think like, as far as if you need new features within the next couple of months, you know, I would say don't do SwiftUI mm. if that's the case. Not only yeah because of the release, but because of the bugginess. Yeah, yeah, it's going to slow down production just trying to work around issues. Lack of a documentation. Yeah, knowing whether or not it is actually an issue or something that hasn't been implemented yet, for example. Yeah, I know the the SwiftUI. I think the the two main takeaways is one, it's declarative. And that allows for a live preview, so you, you you see the result of your changes much quicker. But also being able to use the property wrappers to bind data to your UI. That's a really big piece. There's a lot of boilerplate, like with your typical collection view or table view layout, that now you don't have to worry about because all of that is now swept under the covers because you just pass a data source 
to your list object and it just knows what to do with it, right? Yeah, exactly. Anything else you would suggest companies should do when it comes to implementing Swift UI? I would say one, tread carefully. <laughs> yeah. A lot of developers are going to be crazy mad excited to play with this stuff and they might try to tell you that we absolutely need this because it will make our development faster and better and whatever. Go back, try to read it for yourself, understand what exactly it is you're getting out of it. Again, I think it will speed up development once the bugs are ironed out for UI iteration. And it should help a lot of those state management bugs that we run into that I mentioned a little minute ago. But being that it's a brand new platform, there's still a lot of kinks to be worked out and there's a learning curve to be adopted. You can trade those problems in for new ones just by virtue of not being used to the new language, the new paradigm, I guess. Yeah, I agree. And if you want to watch somebody stumble learning Swift UI, check out my YouTube stream. I'll be posting that in the show notes. Right on. <laughs> so it's a learning curve for sure. But it is it worth the hassle of learning Swift UI but dealing with storyboards at the same time? Like, I don't know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I would say maybe from yeah, a product owner or a CTO standpoint, I'm not sure the trade-off is quite there yet. But I think for developers, this is the kind of stuff where if you really care about your craft, this is the stuff that you should be playing with at night. This is the stuff that you really need to get a handle on because the combined framework, property wrappers, Swift UI, these three things are the future of development. Yeah, I agree. Thank you so much, Jason, for coming on the show. Is there anything else you wanted to mention before we close out? No, I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I'm not anybody super famous or even all that smart. So take everything I said with a grain of salt. <laughs> You've been working on this stuff for quite a while when it comes to, to Reactive and Swift. So it's great to have you on. Where can people find you on Twitter or any social media platform? I am at underscore Jason R. Anderson on Twitter. And I'm on GitHub at Jason R. Anderson. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And maybe we'll have you on again in a few months once some of this Swift UI stuff gets ironed out. Yeah, yeah, after the dust settles. I'm actually working with a buddy seeing about building an app in Swift UI and seeing how far we can push it. So slow going. We only just got started a few weeks ago, but maybe in a couple months we'll get back on here and I can tell you how that's going. Awesome. Thank you again. All right. Yeah, take care. <laughs>